1: And welcome back to the Cover 3 podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Martin Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. And if you've been rolling with us for the last couple weeks, then uh, then you know that there's just no slowing and there is no stopping the spread of the Cover 3 podcast. We hope that uh, we asked you to tell one friend, uh, ...about the podcast. Everyone's looking for recommendations, and so far it looks like some of you are doing that. If you haven't, then we will ask you once again, please tell one friend about this show, because what we are doing right now is we are giving you some some ball talk. We are giving you uh, some some looks and some deep dives into every Power Five college football program, and then we'll, of course, also be hitting on some of the notable Group of Five programs as we work our way around the country Pack 12 uh was last week with one episode on the north, one episode on the south. Big 12 is this week. We will get to that plus um some uh one headline which actually in a, a matter of uh, unintended scheduling lines right up with our episode, but first uh as we are as, as I like to do here at the beginning of all these shows, just want to check in Barton Tom, how we doing gentlemen?
0: Fine.
2: Uh, Tom, yeah, how how we going You're... How's it going in Chicago?
0: Uh, weird because the weather's being just stupid. Because it was like eighty-three here the other day, and now it's currently forty-two. But in a weird way, it doesn't matter because we're all stuck inside. <laughs> other than that, n- not much has changed for me since we last met. Barton, so, how's the war
1: going?
2: The war's you know good days and good days and no, what would I say? Bad days and decent days. So. The yesterday we went to the park, like not the playground, but you know, like a park with like a track kind of where people run and walk and little field where we could play. Um, have you guys noticed that there's a, you know, one of the consequences of this quarantine is I'm seeing a lot of folks out there sort of with some lightly used workout gear that kind of got <laughs> a little bit of a funky gait, you know, don't look like the type that's really Grooved out their stride through the years. A lot of a lot of fresh faces on the workout scene, and and I'm saying that as someone that is literally getting like records workouts every day on my watch, just based on the fact that I'm not sitting down all day and and have to like parent for, for hours at a time. So that, that no judgment. I'm 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 happy for it, but I I I think it's been it's been kind of interesting to see all the the fresh faces getting some exercise because the alternative is sitting at home. So we're, we're at the park and Haley is sort of trying to keep up with the kids. And there, there's a guy, one of these guys who's got his coordinated outfit on, fired up about his day working out. But you know, he's not, not probably in the best shape. And so he's like huffing and puffing
1: down
2: the track. And he, he gives a huff and a puff, right as he's, you know, running by the crew, and so now I'm, you know, I'm like 24 hours deep into my wife being convinced that he just sent a puff of coronavirus right, <laughs> right towards our, our crowd, and so, uh, you know, it's that's what we're dealing with right now, but uh, we'll be all right. A couple, another day in, I think we'll be, we'll, we'll have calmed, calmed our anxiety down a little bit.
1: Now, I do think that uh, I, I might be showing a little bit of my own like standards and public decency has, has definitely maybe started to recede a little bit. But honestly, in these times, I think that, that if, you, if you wanted to drop an open hand smack on somebody for coughing, sneezing, or dropping moist huffs and puffs near your family, I think that you're absolutely in your rights to do that.
2: Well, but this poor guy. Look, this guy was just trying to get his get his his workout in. I mean, he was just grinding through a jog, you know, and and he wasn't worried about what was going on around him. He probably, you know, maybe could have been. You know, I think I think I think my wife was expecting like a little bit of a zig uh, on the on on his path. But yeah. Like I said, this guy's this guy hadn't been doing a lot of jogging, I think, through the years, and so he was just trying to survive the jog, and so, uh, you know, one thing led to another, and you know, now the anxiety level is up in the house once again.
1: I uh, I can't I can relate to that. I don't know what the difference is. I don't work out enough, and I'm not smart enough with the physio science to understand it. But for some reason, for me, running outside has proven to be immensely more difficult than running on a treadmill at the gym. Gyms are obviously closed. Uh, right now and have been and some of it is I just you know in the last couple in the last two weeks I after taking maybe two or three weeks off I tried to get it going again and yeah, I'm 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 definitely trying to make sure that before I get to the point of like not being able to control my huffs, my puffs, and my moist breath, I'm I will, you know, throw shame out the window and be like, nah, bro, we walking. I've got nothing to prove to anybody right. else out here. Like we just we gotta move at our own pace. I'm not trying to make any record times. I'm just out here trying to stretch my legs a little bit.
0: I will just say that as somebody who suffers from seasonal allergies.
1: Oh, the sneeze in public. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's (laughs) like I'm. You know, if I'm sniffing or I have like a little sneeze or whatever, and like the reactions to you are very, 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 very different. It's like, no, I swear it's just the it's just the pollen. It's nothing else. But yeah, watch those.
2: Watch for them droplets are heading. That's right. Keep keep
0: those droplets to yourself for sure. Just you know, the elbow of mine is probably diseased.
1: Well, I, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm going to apologize to you as a proxy for the people that I've shot nasty looks to. I'm sorry. I can't help it. My head hits on a swivel and I don't even intend it. It's just a, it's a, it's a reaction to my imagination. It's like gunshots went off.
0: (laughs) Yes. Like everybody just turns and looks. It's like, what?
1: Yeah. Big eyes and a snap of the head real fast. Uh, yeah. So I'm sorry, Tom and everybody else, uh, around Raleigh that I've done that too. Uh, Speaking of, before we dive into the second collection of our Big Twelve, which will be Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Kansas, Kansas State, and Iowa State, we we finished, uh, I guess maybe last week's episode with like sort of like an offhanded. So you guys want to talk about Mike Leach, and we're like, uh, let's. I'm not not really in the mood to talk about that. But Mike Leach, Mike Leach, right now has fallen a little bit below the fold, though we have had some uh, fallout from that, or at least like some connection with that, with uh, the announced transfer of a Mississippi State football player. The topic du jour from coaches talking this week is from Mike Gundy. And he had a scheduled teleconference with about a dozen or so reporters. And in this teleconference, Mike Gundy proposed, among other things, a plan to get the players back on campus and getting back to work. And he was hoping to get them in uh, by May 1st. He said a majority of the people in this building who are healthy and certainly the 18, 19, 21, 22 year olds that are healthy, the so-called medical people saying the herd of healthy people that have the antibodies built up can maybe fight this. We all need to go back to work. I'm not taking away from the danger of people getting sick. Gundy said you have the virus, stay healthy, try to do what we can to help people that are sick and we're losing lives, which is terrible. But the second part of it is that we still have to schedule and continue to move forward as life goes on and help these people. He uh, pointed out that he believes the state of Oklahoma needs Oklahoma State football. His proposal included trying to get staffers back. It it seems to me that um, on the most like for me to try to be as empathetic as possible to Mike Gundy's uh, statements and plans, which I don't know, I guess we got a couple other ways to attack this. It seemed to me like he was looking around his building and he sees people that are out of work that aren't getting paid. And he would like to have the football players back on campus, back in the weight room, you know, keeping things moving. And he probably also has some larger ideas about uh, the economy as a whole. And, the The way that it should be handling things in response to the COVID nineteen outbreak, but ah, uh, mm, who, what, what we, what we think about Mike Gundy because you know Davo's been talking and you know I just feel like this one was the one that really tripped me up where I was like, wow, that was a. That was a really impassioned speech because he put dates on it. He wasn't just doing the, this is, this is going to end real soon. Uh, tigers kind of thing like Dabo. He was said, May 1st, I'd like to get these guys back. Uh, Oklahoma state's athletic director has come out called the May one date ambitious and, uh, continued to point the attention to public health officials and government officials. So where's, where's Mike Gundy sitting right now, uh, in y'all's mind.
2: Uh, did you guys catch these? He he uh, he's he's got a new favorite news source. OANN?
1: Yes.
2: He's an OAN guy now. Yeah, he's, he is uh, converted from whatever his previous news source unbiased. was. Unbiased. Now he's he's found an unbiased source in OAN. <laughs> and look, man, look, and, and here's where I'm at with the Mike Gundy thing. Is um the, this is here's the this is the bottom line of Mike Gundy is. Mike Gundy is at Oklahoma State, a program, and there's other elements to this as well. But here, here's my, my biggest takeaway, which is in the kind of which is the most comedic element of this at all, I, th- I think. But he's at Oklahoma State, and at Oklahoma State, there's only you've got a couple of small windows to really hit it, to be a playoff contender, to be a Big Twelve championship contender, and this team right now. Is his best team maybe he's ever had at Oklahoma State? Well, get, that's a little, you know, little, little, little spoiler alert for our discussion to come. So, if he can convince himself and convince the like, he just wants to get the hell back in the office. So he doesn't miss this one season with the best team he's ever had. So if it's MSNBC, if it's Breitbart, if it's OAN, if it's CNN, if there's a news outlet out there that's going to give him some news that tells him that his team, that's the best he's ever had, could get back in on the field, hey, that's the one he's going to fire up and, and tune into because that, that, he's just like sitting here just chopping at the bit, clawing at the, the walls and the ceilings trying to figure out how, like surely, surely the gods aren't going to frown on me like this to where my my, my shot at the playoffs is going to get spoiled by a dang pandemic.
0: No matter what you believe, no matter what you feel, the most unbiased outlet for news is always the one you agree with.
1: <laughs> That's
0: right. <laughs> I, you know, my only thing with this is, and he he did this, you know, unprovoked. He was just doing a teleconference and he was sharing his thoughts. But, you know, like you mentioned Dabo, you've seen it with other coaches. I wish we would stop asking coaches what they think about this. Mm. You know what I mean? Because. Yeah. What the hell does a coach know? And no, I mean, what the hell do we know about this? We're not experts. This isn't anything any of us have a background in or have any kind of knowledge of. In fact, we see it every day as this this crisis has gone on. Even the people who do know don't really know. They've been wrong about a few things. They're making projections. They're making prediction based on this, the facts that they do have. But they can't say for sure anything that is going to happen. So why in the world do we ask a football coach? what they think and also if you're a football coach you can just say i don't know well that's and the
1: bar has been lowered because of some of the like more aggressive stances such that a brian kelly or a chip kelly just says i don't know we'll listen to the experts and then we applaud them yes (laughs) <laughs> we have really lowest th- king among <laughs> us. <laughs> Finally, Brian Kelly has arrived to be the the one sane voice in the room. I mean, it's it it why we are asking uh our college our college football coaches uh for their expert opinions on this. I Barton, I kind of love the uh I had not considered. And and maybe that's my own fault for being too focused on trying to cuz initially I thought Mike Gundy hunts rattlesnakes. That guy is not afraid of the coronavirus. Like that guy that guy absolutely um believes that there there are any kinds of like home remedies or your body can get through it. The the system will survive. Like he's he's got some he's got some serious uh he's he's got a very very serious like lack of fear uh that's built into his brain, but I had not even just thought that he he is so um, focused on the upcoming season knowing what he's got that now he's just gonna speak anything into existence. Is that kind of what you're saying like he's if he can say it if he can start throwing it out then then maybe it'll just it, it'll all come together for him.
2: Yeah and he's you know what he's probably like I mean he's and if OAN is telling him that the season's gonna happen, Hey man, you got hey media folk. Why aren't you guys listen to OAN a little more? Like let's little get a little bit of, of momentum here going for this season, getting getting off the ground. Because I got I got a hell of a team, and so and I and like it was the other thing about this too is there there's the the balance of our coaches talking to like their how do you balance their role as like a mouthpiece for a state or or you know, speaking to a state, speaking to a fan base and being able to affect sort of a, an entire community of people and, in their, and their behavior? And how do you balance them speaking to their more immediate job description, which is their team? And so like even Mac Brown got a little bit of pushback on some of his comments about, you know, his guys better be ready for July 1st. You know, he's preparing as if July 1st is, is going to be when they can get rolling. And, and he didn't even say it as if he was he was more hypothetical in his statements but I you know I, I was I, I've been on interviews where i was sort of led to discuss that as if that was irresponsible and look maybe it is in, in in a broader sense if you're trying to get him to be speaking to this these like large fan bases and and affect their daily behaviors but in in, in his in his job of his players, we always talk about these guys speaking to the to their players through the media. Like all he's really saying is, "Hey guys, we got to be ready if this thing gets going on in July. If if we are able to, to to start practicing and working out, you better show up prepared because this is going to get season is going to get started with or without you. And so there is that element um, of it. Mike Gundy's statements took it a little bit further than than that, which is why I think he's gotten. A lot of heat for it but th- there's one other side of this and and the phrasing of it from gundy was was very uncomfortable and clunky and poorly poorly worded poorly presented but he had some line in there about we got to get this thing going and get money th- flowing through the state of oklahoma again, oh, yeah. right wouldn't something like that yep and so that obviously was a you know, the flag goes up for all the unpaid labor people to jump on that, and that was a a pretty that uh, was a hot talking point on on the social media. An apps. easy talking point. So, and and you guys are you guys are evolved thinkers. You're progressive uh, minds, and so correct. You feel free to to check me on this, but I can't stand it. When I look and I'm pro player, I'm pro name and likeness, I'm pro free market, I'm not pro getting paid by the school, like that doesn't make any sense, I don't think. I think, but but I am pro player in terms of of getting their, their market value for sure. Open up the floodgates for that. But when people start talking about the idea of these guys being unpaid labor and getting the economy going on the backs of unpaid labor and these poor unpaid laborers it drives me nuts because these guys want to play like as a player i i i i was a player i didn't think of myself as like being taken advantage of now granted i was played on a totally different scale but i w- I, I didn't feel taken advantage of i i would give anything to be able to play and these guys want to play like they it's it, it just the these sort of People that parachute in with this unpaid labor um, talking point is always sort of rankles me, and I'm just curious if I'm not seeing it the right way. Because come on, I mean, these guys want to go out there and play. It's not, it's it's not an it's not a labor situation here. Give them a chance if they
1: can. Well, I mean, here, Tom, you want to?
0: Uh, I was just going to say that. I, I agree with I'm, – I'm in the same boat with you, name, image, likeness, market value. I do think that the schools could pay them if they really wanted to. It's just I don't think the schools ever will pay them. And I, I agree that I hate the, the fact that when this debate starts – There's only like, there's, there's two extremes. There's the, you know, they are, they're already paid what they're worth. And then there's the, they're indentured, you know, servitude kind of argument. And the truth is very much in between those things. It's a mixture of everything. No, they are not, not getting paid. The scholarship is valuable. All the things and all the benefits they get from the schools, not just, you know, free clothes, but they get fed, they get all this stuff. They get, they get dormitories. They get every, there's, there's a lot of money That a school has to pay per player once they're on scholarship, not just for their scholarship. So there is a lot of benefits and maybe not, you know, straight liquid cash, but they get a lot with their scholarship. They do not get what they're worth. Some people don't. Some Some people people don't. don't. But that is not all that different from anybody else. Like we work for a company.
2: Some people get entirely... More than they're worth.
0: Yeah. But I'm saying it's like if you look at every industry in the nation, the way that the system is set up, the quote unquote worker typically does not get nearly what they're worth compared to what they help earn for the company that they work for. So in that sense, it's not all that different. That said, At least, you know, they're getting paid an actual wage. They're getting, you know, in some cases, insurance, health insurance, all that kind of stuff, 401ks, whatever, depending on your job. But there's a lot of jobs you don't get any of that either. So I do think that when you sit and say that a player, a college athlete is not getting anything out of it, that's – that's a dishonest argument. It's a dishonest point to stand on. You're just trying to make a point and trying to win an argument rather than trying to find an answer or a better situation for all involved because I do think that exists and maybe the name, image, and likeness is a push in the right direction and I think we've pushed in that direction the last few years and I think that eventually we will get to a point where players... Are getting far more than they are now, though they're never going to get what they're worth as far as the money that the schools are bringing in. Like you, you're never going to get a situation like the NBA where players are getting 51% of the revenues. That's just not going to happen. So there are people who feel like that's the only acceptable outcome, and that's just unreasonable. That's not being willing to you know compromise. And I think there is a compromise somewhere in there. So yeah. I'm with you on that. I, I do think they deserve more. I don't think they're going to get everything they deserve, but I think that just progress sometimes is all you can hope to make. I think my
2: well, my, my oh. bigger thing is though, like when when Gundy says like get the economy going. Again, I'm not saying he like that was a poor. He shouldn't have even said that. He shouldn't have gone there. But when he's saying let's get the economy going, let's get some football back in the state again, and people are like that's on the back of unpaid laborers. Like like nice point million dollar coach, get out of here, like. These we're not marching these guys into the coal mines. They, they want to play. Like that's mm-hmm. my thing. That, that's where I. That's where I. I really get <clears throat> annoyed by the unpaid labor thing. Is you know people like getting acting like as a player, you're being sort of taken advantage of in this big way because your name, image, likeness was used in NCAA uh, video games. I was in. I was in that game there was a number three, six, three, two Oh five at safety at Yale. And I was in that game. And uh, like, of course, no, I'm not driving the sales of that game, but that
0: you're the reason I I bought it.
2: I wanted to, like, I was, that was awesome. Like it was awesome that I could be in that game. It was awesome that I got to play football. I'm not be, I'm I'm not like punching the clock nine to five. Like I'm choosing to play this sport that I love. And so are these kids. And so, Let's not act like they're being taken advantage of if, if, we, if we want them to play, and that also happens to get the economy going again. I don't know. Sorry I, for the for, – for the.
1: No, 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 no. I, I, I saw Mike Gundy's uh, – Mike Gundy was trying to stress the importance, the economic importance of football, and he was using the big phrase, the state of Oklahoma – And I would respond to, well, actually, Coach Gundy, yeah, the state of Oklahoma is one of the places in America where you could argue that this is the biggest show in town. That Oklahoma and Oklahoma State football, from an economic perspective, reach further and deeper into the communities than they do in other places in the country. I mean, it's the the biggest show in town, and uh, all the different ways that people benefit, or, or people just like industries uh, base their calendars around it, and the people that have jobs that are connected to the football program. Like I, I actually think that Mike Gundy's probably someone who's in a unique position to try and make that argument. I mean, the Oklahoma Athletic Director uh, Joe Castiglione, you know, said like, "Look, if if there's no football season like this." This this is real bad for us because at Oklahoma, like that that is a massive massive piece, and the ripple effects from that economically are going to extend even beyond the university. And I think the same's probably true uh, in Stillwater at Oklahoma State. Uh, I I I saw I saw him sort of again. I he probably has larger ideas about the economy, but he probably is also looking at a staff of what about. How, I mean, how many people do y'all think would work as like outside of the coaches and maybe outside of even like the base level analysts? Like aren't we still talking about 75 to 100 people that are going to be working in the offices and around the building?
2: Yeah, I think I saw somewhere recently like – yeah, it's like seventy-five plus.
1: Yeah, and they're not getting checks. Like they're going to be some of the first people that are not going to be able to uh, collect their money if the per- if the building is not open and things are not up and running. And uh, and I, it's it's tough, man, because that is the, the the reason why athletic directors are talking about this so much, and the reason why they're trying to come up with all these other plans is it's a massive massive piece. of... Of the way a lot of universities, athletic departments, uh, and everything else do business, Mike Gundy even mentioned in another part of the call, you know, because they've got some of the salaries for those positions not running through the university but through the football club, right? And so if if those if that money's not there, then they're not going to be able to make those paychecks. I I think Mike Gundy was uh, misguided on a lot of things uh, within that statement, but it, I will say. You know, he was he was trying to get big and brash and scary about the state economics in the state of Oklahoma, but I I will give him this that they, they are not as worried about that in other places of the country as they would be right there. So I he's he's at least got a got my attention on that piece of it.
2: I talked to a uh, uh, an assistant coach that had gotten fired last season. His staff got let go, and so he was he's without a job and. Um, you know, he was planning on just being one of these analysts and there just may not be as many of those hired. this right. kind of cycle. You know, just like little things like that. You don't think about, um, I don't know. It's gonna be tough.
1: Coming up on the other side, we take a look at the rest of the big 12, starting with three time college football playoff participants, Oklahoma Sooners next. All right. So Lincoln Riley, Twelve wins every single year he's been a head coach. Just three of them, but eight and one, three straight Big Twelve championships. But zero and three in the college football playoff. As we look back to last year, obviously you've got Jalen Hurts coming in. The offense shifts a little bit. They went twelve and two, eight and one. What do we got going forward? We've got for the fourth straight season a new starting quarterback. But it doesn't appear, especially with no spring practice. And until we are told otherwise, like there is going to be necessarily someone other, other than Spencer Rattler in there as the starting quarterback, Tan- Tanner Mordecai um, was the backup to Jalen Hurts running at number two, though some of that was to allow Spencer Rattler to be able to maintain his ability to redshirt that season. You lose CD lamb, which leaves basically Charleston Rambo as the only wide receiver with significant production. Uh, again, It was a little bit of a different wrinkle to the offense. They weren't throwing the ball around as much as they might have been with Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, a little bit more of the power run game. But you look at the wide receiver position outside of Charleston Rambo, you've got talent, but you don't have a whole lot that's been proven. Defensively, I thought we took some great steps forward with Alex Grinch, but, I mean, there was nowhere to go from up uh, from 2018 to 2019, and that group loses Kenneth Murray and Neville Gallimore, among others. They should be getting Caleb Kelly back, a very talented defender. He played only four games last year before getting hurt. We got to go into the year with Oklahoma looking at them like they are a top 10 team. But uh, is ha, has Lincoln Riley proven to us enough that he can be able to just pull this thing together? That even with all the turnover that he's got, even with another year of a a first year starting quarterback that the fact he's been able to rebuild every year should leave us just sitting with the status quo, which is that it's Oklahoma and then come pick your next fighter. Like has he earned that respect from us that an Oklahoma team that on paper, in my mind, has a lot of questions and no spring practice to sort them out. That still, if you got Spencer Rattler, who's very gifted talent, and if you got Lincoln Riley, who's proven to do nothing but win the Big Twelve, that until proven otherwise, we should just go ahead and fast forward the Sooners to the Big Twelve title game.
0: That's how I feel about it. <laughs> I mean, it's that's not to say there aren't teams capable of beating Oklahoma in the Big Twelve, because it, as you said, you know. Lincoln had Lincoln has had the same record all three seasons 12 and two overall eight and one in big 12 three big 12 title appearances three big 12 title wins and I think that if you look at it yeah there's plenty of teams in the conference this year that could beat Oklahoma like Oklahoma State could beat Oklahoma Texas could anybody could on any but it's just can you beat them twice. Can you beat them enough times to keep them from reaching the Big 12 title game? I think that when I look at Oklahoma, it's a similar situation, though not to the same degree, that you have with Clemson, where it's like before the season starts, I mean, you can pencil Clemson as the ACC champion, and you could pencil Oklahoma as being one of the top two teams in the conference that will definitely be playing for a conference title, will probably be ranked in the top 10 all season, and will once again be in line for a playoff berth. And yeah, they have a new quarterback, but they've had a new quarterback every single year Lincoln Riley's been there and it hasn't really done anything to slow them down. And for the first time ever in Spencer Rattler, they've got a quarterback who actually has been in the system. And since Mayfield, who's been in the system and developed in the system and knows the system. So in that sense, yeah, you'd wish they would have had a spring practice like everybody else, but at least Spencer Rattler, isn't going to be new to campus this summer or this fall, whenever he would be able to get on campus, like a transfer would be at this point. So, Yeah, I think Oklahoma is going to be fine. I think defensively, you have to worry about losing Kenneth Murray. You have to worry about losing Neville Gallimore. But this is Grinch's second season running that defense. And while those are two big names that are gone, still a lot of production from that defense is back and it will be in its second year of the system. So I do expect to see some more improvement on the defensive side of the ball. So even with all these questions, if 2020 Oklahoma is a better team than 2019, would any of us really be surprised?
1: No,
2: no, no, for me, it's the Oklahoma question is about and, and this is from the perspective of a handicapper of a media member that has to like predict things and pick games like and pick conference champions and things of that nature. So from that perspective, the challenge here is do you just get bored? (laughs) <laughs> With picking Oklahoma? Do you get tempted by something else? Because it clearly Oklahoma is, is equipped. Like, you look at their roster, and, and it's, yes, I mean, maybe they don't have the playmaker in the backfield that you, you have had maybe in years past. Um, you lose CeeDee Lamb, who was a big part of that offense. Like, Tom, I believe Spencer Rattler, even as a first-year starter, is potentially really special, and so there's some unknown there as a first-year starter, but the talent is elite, and the backfilling skill players are elite. That receiver class they got in 2019 is was the best in the country, um, and the defense will be improved, I think, under Alex Grinch. They also have a guy like Perrion Winfrey coming in out of the JUCO, who's one of the best JUCO kids in the country on the defensive line. Like, There's some spots like that where they can get bolstered, but uh, at the end of the day, you kind of look at the roster and whereas in, in, in a vacuum, isolated, you're like, that's a hell of a roster. But when you're looking at it in sort of sequential order from previous Oklahoma years, you're just sort of like, well, it's just a, sort of another Oklahoma roster. It's not it doesn't flash in a in a more exciting way than years past. It's sort of just steady as she goes, and so I, it just feels like it's going to be another OU season where they're, they're, they're college ball playoff worthy, but it's not, you know, there's going to be some, Lincoln Rowley's going to have to have a press conference after a loss where he says, hey, all you guys are going to make a big deal out of this. We've been here before. We're just going to have to keep our nose down and keep on playing ball, and we'll, things will take care of themselves.
1: Do you think that it would be a massive, like, do you think that it would be a massive disappointment if they didn't make the college football playoff, or maybe to take it even further, if Oklahoma did not win the Big Twelve championship?
2: Yes, you think it would be a massive disappointment in the sense of like their their fan base, or in the sense of what how you are setting your expectations personally?
1: Talking? I think yeah, I, I think we would say us maybe more than fans.
0: I think if they miss the playoff it's not a massive disappointment, but I think if they don't win the big 12, it's, it was a massive disappointment. Yes.
2: I wouldn't be. I'm, I'm actually, I'm leaving the door open this year for that, for someone else to win it. Maybe more so than I have in, in years past.
1: Yeah. I don't, I, th- I think that I'm closer to there where I've, I just don't know how sustainable it is. I mean, th- they are Buffalo bills this thing pretty hard. And like at some point, that That is going to run out. They've, they've either got to take the... Ne- they're either going to take the next step or the...
0: Oh, sorry.
2: <laughs> what was that? Is that? Was that an Oklahoma?
0: <laughs> My bad. I just, you know, so, oops. So
2: Tom is going... He's like going hard with this OU stuff now. All of a sudden,
0: I it I like just you think that this is a. I think that there are other. I mean, it was, it was the same way I felt last year. It's Oklahoma, a gap, and then the second best team in the Big Twelve. And I don't know who the second best team in the Big Twelve is. I think I have an idea based on our earlier conversation. Who Barton believes is the second best team in the Big Twelve, and I completely understand the reasoning behind it. Warming up. Warming up. Yeah, I'm just I'm just not there where I think that that team despite what it has is going to improve enough in one off season without spring practice, without any of this stuff to suddenly be able to catch and beat Oklahoma, especially when they have to play Oklahoma in Oklahoma. And that has not been a thing that has gone well for Oklahoma state ever.
1: Well, just playing Oklahoma is something that hasn't gone well for Oklahoma state. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's take it there then. Okay. We've got the returning big 12 offensive player of the year, Chuba Hubbard back. Tylan Wallace, one of the most talented wide receivers in college football, injured last year, but uh, he'll be back. And last time we checked in for an update on him, he should be close to full health for fall camp. But then they were going to, you know, sort of slowly work him back in. Spencer Sanders, who looked real good before he got hurt, also back. That is arguably one of the best quarterback running back wide receiver trios in all of college football. Now Oklahoma State last year went eight and five overall just five and four in conference play. And one of the reasons that uh, people are talking about Oklahoma State, I mean, we had a a podcast not too long ago talking about starting up the national championship Oklahoma State hype. Shout out to uh, Kyle Boone, who uh, tried to listen to that as part, you know, Kyle Boone, Kyle Porter, both also write about Oklahoma State for Pistols Firing, very good Oklahoma State blog. Uh, They threw their computers out the window because we started that podcast talking about Baylor. Uh, all right, <laughs> 10, 10 starters back on a defense that Mike Gundy had a lot of confidence in statistically about middle of the pack. But I, I think there's a belief within that program that that defense played, played all right and is going to be set to be a, a really good unit next year as well. They are number nine in Bill Connolly's returning production rankings. They've got top 20 preseason expectations in the SP plus Oklahoma state. The hype, the dark horse, the college football playoff. Mike Gundy is reading any kind of scientific report that gets his boys back on campus and getting ready for this. I mean, the optimal question is, will Oklahoma State capitalize on what appears to be one of the best teams of the Mike Gundy era?
2: This is the year OAN crowns its first national title champion. <laughs> the OAN national champions, Oklahoma oh, State Cowboys. Oh.
1: Uh, I, I'm afraid to even put that as the podcast title, but I kind of like it. OAN <laughs> national champion, Oklahoma State.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'll let you make that choice. All I know is this. I, I think this team is going to be legit. I, I'm, I'm, I'm bought in on the hype Spencer Sanders he's like that's not just in, compa- in comparison a year two Spencer Sanders versus a year one Spencer Rattler I'm not I'm not totally convinced I'm taking Spencer Rattler there, there's unknown with Spencer Rattler and I think Spencer Rattler's a better quarterback long-term Spencer Sanders was still a four-star kid he's still a talented kid uh outside of an Oklahoma State offense like he's not some function of the offense he is talented now he was there were ups and downs last year he was a little boomer bust you know you can get a big play out of him and an interception out of him every play but he's talented so he's back in year two Tylen Wallace back The, the whole receiving group is back we know about Chuba Hubbard Dylan Stoner's back guys like Langston Anderson who were young last year still really talented they come up and emerge as well they get in the Josh Sills kid as a grad transfer from West Virginia on the offensive line. Defensively, Calvin Bundage was supposed to be one of their best players last year. He missed it with an injury. Trace Ford, who is a I guess a freshman last year, I think. Uh he he was a stud as a young guy that's now going to be improved. So they had a first team all Big 12 safety. I mean, I I just think Mike Gundy's You know, a a good Oklahoma State team might not always be a Big 12 championship contender, but I think this is better than just a typical good big uh, Oklahoma State team. I I think, I legitimately think that Mike Gundy is just crawling out of his skin right now with the idea of sitting home and not working with this squad that is is coming together at at a time where they can really make a run at this thing. So I, I think that this is, uh, this is a potential Big 12 championship
0: team. I think if I was to choose a team that will likely play Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game, I might take Oklahoma State before I took Texas, before I took Baylor. Maybe I think Iowa State that is kind of on the same level as far as the potential for these teams. It's just, I mean, the schedule is not simple. They've got... Pretty easy non-conference slate in Oregon State, Tulsa, and Western Illinois. But they've got to play TCU on the road. They've got to play Oklahoma on the road, Baylor on the road. At Kansas State, late in the season, a week before Texas on the road, is never going to be an easy game. That's kind of a trap kind of situation. So Spencer Sanders was good last year but there was also a huge drop off in his performance once tylen wallace went out which you know not exactly a surprise but he was only he only in two games without or three games the december game doesn't count but the two november games that he played after wallace got hurt he averaged 163 yards a game which was about a 60 yard drop from his average in games prior so clearly part of that was the offensive game plan changing because without tylen wallace we were going to hand the ball off to Chuba a lot. And that's what they did. But that also tells me that his coach doesn't really trust him very much. And if you look at how he performed in games against, you know, good teams, you kind of see why, because he, you know, he threw 11 interceptions last year, most of which came against good teams. And it's just, I that's typical freshman stuff, and I know the potential is there, but I don't know that I really consider Spencer Sanders to be that much better than Spencer Rattler at this point, if I'm being totally honest. And I think that if you look at Rattler, maybe even if Sanders is better, yeah, Oklahoma State's got a great running back. Oklahoma State's got a great receiver, but Oklahoma's going to have great receivers. Oklahoma is going to have just fine running backs. And Oklahoma's got a much better offensive line than Oklahoma State's. Oklahoma State's offensive line last year was not bad, but it's nothing special. It was a slightly above average, as far as the country is concerned, unit, if you look at all the advanced metrics. And Chuba Hubbard obviously is able to play well behind them. But I think if you put Chuba Hubbard behind Oklahoma's offensive line last year, my God, look out for the numbers he might have put up. So. I just think that the cast around him is not nearly as good as the cast at Oklahoma, and because of that, I mean, this is an Oklahoma State team that lost five games last year. It went 5-4 and in conference play, and I don't know. And it had all three of those guys for most part all year. And I just don't know what happened between last year and this year that's convincing me that this team is suddenly ready to overtake Oklahoma.
1: We are lacking for uh, a lot. Like Trevor Lawrence is a star. Justin Fields is a star. The Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, uh, you know Fiesta Bowl rematch, trying to pit Clemson against Oklahoma with you know Alabama in the mix and like there's you can start to to put together the names, the faces that are going to dominate the national conversation for the college football season in 2020, but. Chuba Hubbard is like your Jonathan Taylor in that he was so explosive and in such a known commodity that we're just going we're just going to latch on to it. And unlike Wisconsin, you're dealing with Oklahoma State, a team that has um, a, a team that has a, a few less obstacles. You know, w- Wisconsin in the Big 10 had, there's a few more teams where it feels like they got to get over, right? It, feel, it feels like, you know, they can win their division, but if we're talking about the big picture Big Ten, Wisconsin ain't running one, Wisconsin ain't running two, Wisconsin at best is probably running third. But you could talk yourself into Oklahoma State making the kind of jump so that they do get into the Big 12 championship game. Now, all that said, I will not be picking Oklahoma State to win the Big 12 championship because it's really, really hard to for anybody to beat Lincoln twice and I, with all, even with all that production back on defense, even with the confidence coming from within that building about that Oklahoma State defense, I, I still think that that group is going to be susceptible just like everyone else, and that when you put Oklahoma and Oklahoma State against each other, there is a coaching advantage on the Sooner side.
2: I read a uh, spring football preview written on the Oklahoma State athletic site, so obviously it was going to be you know favorable. Uh, and one of the one of the lines was it returns 11. The defense returns 11 starters from a unit that held six teams under their scoring average. It's uh, a kind of lapse. Like well, it means they let another six or seven get above their scoring <laughs> average. So and
1: that's about average. Sounds
2: like about an average defense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, listen. I, I
0: got I got fifty one percent of the questions on the test right, so, <laughs>
2: um, so it's it's I, it's it's not a perfect it's not a perfect pick, and I agree. And Spencer Sanders, I think you're on it, Tom. That Spencer Sanders, I don't think they trusted him last year. So it this the, you know a pick for Oklahoma State is a pick for development, um, but you know what? Sometimes sometimes if you're gonna find the the, the breakout season, yeah, takes taking a chance.
1: Kansas State uh had had a pretty strong year one. Chris Kleiman comes in and check this. He is just the second First time head coach in Big 12 history to take a team from a losing record to at least eight wins in that debut season. So I guess eight and five, the sort of operative question that we can dig into is maybe was was eight and five overachieving? Are we expecting a step back? Uh, they lost Scotty Hazleton to Michigan State. Uh, Safety's coach Joe Klanderman promoted to defensive coordinator. And this is where things get really dicey for Kansas State because Kansas State has to replace all five starting offensive linemen and for the first time in 31 plus years kansas state returns zero starts on the offensive line from the pre- previous season you do have skylar thompson back who's been somewhat of a steady hand at quarterback you've got a, a really good all big 12 tight end and nick Leners. Uh, Wyatt Hubert leads a pretty strong defensive line group. You've got Elijah Sullivan at linebacker defensive backfield returns four out of five starters. I I can look at the defense and I can say, you know, Hey, look at all these different things, you know, Kansas state, they can be really solid defensively. And if they can hold teams scoring down, well then they can do that Kansas state thing where they just uh, figure out a way, but can they figure out a way without a single offensive line start back from 2019 do we expect a little bit of a regression in year two for Chris Kleiman?
2: Yeah, I do. Uh, that's a I, like they basically returned nothing other than like quarterback
1: and tight end.
2: Mm-hmm. Wyatt Hubert on do, on defense, like it's just a they they, they inherited. I think look, I, I don't want to take away from what Chris Kleiman did in year one because it was really impressive, but but they inherited a sneaky good situation like that wasn't a bad team then yeah
0: sneaky competent team
2: sneaky competent that's a good yeah I like that phrasing um, this is just I think this is going to be a tougher tougher hill to climb and I, I just this is one of those teams that I as I look at the roster man not a lot of not a lot of jumps out at me so look may, maybe I'm just under educated on what this Kansas State team can be but this would have been a nice spring ball to, to get a little better feel for it because as things stand going into the year, there's just not a whole lot for me to hang my hat on.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I loved the climb and higher. I loved what they were able to do last year. It's just when you think of the style of play he's trying to bring to Kansas State, really the kind of style of play that Kansas State has always been, it's been about two things. It's been discipline and being as physical as possible. It's really hard to be physical when you have to replace your entire offensive line. That's not to say that as the season goes along, this isn't a team that could improve and an offensive line that could improve. And you know what? Maybe lightning strikes and right out the gate, your offensive line. You've got five new players, but they're great. (laughs) And they're working well together. But that would be a lot more likely if you were able to practice. And again, this is a team that has not been able to practice. So when you look at that and then you look at the schedule, I mean – here are their here's their road slate all their non-conference games are at home but on the road in conference play they have to play at West Virginia, at TCU, at Iowa State, at Oklahoma, at Baylor. How many of those games right now and that w that West Virginia West Virginia game might be the most winnable but that's their like their fourth game of the season. So if you look at that, it's hard to see this team winning a single road game so there's five losses right there in conference it's i i don't see a way that this team gets back to eight and five maybe it can get to six and six and get to a bowl game but if i would probably take the under on kansas state's win total right now i'd probably say that if i was to if i had to bet between making a bowl and missing a bowl i'm probably taking missing before i take make
1: yeah i think i think that this is an under team because of the lack of offensive line and as as we're looking at the shifting pieces in the big 12, you know, in, in our first edition of the big 12, we were sitting there talking ourselves into like, well, you know, TCU, that's gotta be a team that's going to take a step forward. You know, what, what are we going to get out of uh, a Texas tech team that, that we think could have a really explosive offense? Like if tech, if Texas tech goes up like 17 to nothing on Kansas state, even with the bad defense, Kansas state's in trouble. Kansas State's in a lot of trouble in that game, and so if you're if you're trying to figure out, uh, judging by the stonks, which way that uh, these things are going, I, I agree with you. I think Kansas State haven't haven't seen a, a win total for it out yet, and don't worry. Later later in the offseason, once uh, once William Hill gets these win totals out, we'll we'll be all over it here on the Cover Three podcast. But spoiler alert: uh, no offensive line starts for a Kansas State team that really relies on its offensive line to set the pace. Yeah, that's yikes. That'll be a yikes, my friend. Uh, On to a team that I'm very, very excited about. I And a couple reasons. Okay, Iowa State went 7-6 and six last year, just 5-4 and four in conference play. Uh, the first four losses of the season were by a combined 11 points. Lost to Iowa by one. Lost to Baylor by two. Lost to Oklahoma State by seven. And lost to Oklahoma by one. Matt Campbell was a big name once again. This is maybe the second straight off-season where he sort of gets dubbed as a coach who could potentially be targeted for one of these bigger jobs. But once again, he remains committed. And I am going to take a little bit of a leap and wonder if at least part of his thinking is by looking at what he's got and understanding that he has been building towards 2020 as a potential re- really strong step forward year for the Cyclones. Uh, Brock Purdy, looking like he is going to be the best Iowa State quarterback since Seneca Wallace, and, and maybe he might already be. He's 14-8 and eight as a starter, 11-5 and five against Big 12 teams, and he set or tied a total of 18 school records during the 2019 season. We saw a great true freshman breakout from running back Brees Hall during the second half of the season. The offensive line does lose four seniors who had a combined mm-hmm. 146 career starts. Uh, and um, that's that's going to be a big, big piece of the concern. But I'm looking at Iowa State, and I think that this is a team with top 25 expectations being a reality Brock Purdy in year three, you know, should be one of the best quarterbacks in the entire country. Uh, is my optimism matched over there on the other ends of the line for Iowa State?
0: I mentioned that I think that if we're trying to, when I was talking about Oklahoma State, I mentioned Iowa State is that team that I think is in the running for you know to be the team that Oklahoma faces in the Big Twelve Championship. But as you mentioned, Chip, they lost a lot of experience off their offense line, and it's looking like. We can't say for sure, but there's a very good chance they're going to be starting like three redshirt freshmen on the offensive line, which is never really a position you want to be in in a power five conference unless you've been really able to, you know, unless you're a blue blood that's been recruiting at a level unseen and Iowa State is not that program. So I do have some serious concerns. That said, you know, you mentioned Brock Purdy, you mentioned Brees Hall, you mentioned the guys at skill positions. There's reason to think that this offense is going to be able to put up points And the defense, while not great, I mean, it's got it's 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 got starters back. Not everybody. I I didn't I wasn't overly impressed with a lot of guys on this defense last year. I think there's a lot of solid players. So I think that is good in a sense. It's just when going through this big 12 kind of meat grinder where Oklahoma is the clear cut best team, Kansas is the clear cut worst team and the other eight teams are all somewhat similar to each other as far as talent level and ability it's hard to think that they're going to get through now you mentioned how a lot of their losses last year were close losses which you know could bode well for them going forward you know maybe just catch a few more breaks get a little more lucky and things go go better it's just how much better can this team be it went 5 and 4 in conference play last year i think that this is a team that could get to 7 and 2 if everything works out well i think 6 and 3 is probably the best case scenario if we're being realistic so Maybe this is a nine win team if they can go on the road to beat Iowa, but that won't be simple. So I think this is an eight and four team, not all that dissimilar from what we saw last year as far as ability and talent, but just gets a little you know, it doesn't get so unlucky in close games.
2: All right, so chip, I sensed a very optimistic tone in your voice in 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 conveying what Iowa State is bringing back and what they can be this year. So if that optimism, manifests itself uh, like into this team and it is sort of in ma- like it hits whatever your expectation is for it whatever that optimistic expectation is what is that record 10 and like 2 you talking, so you know so like, this is like 10 and 2 optimism yeah so what would you like how would you feel about this would you feel disappointed to uh, to see this team come out with an 8 and 4 record
1: eight and four probably would be the floor of where I start to feel really disappointed. If this drops to seven and five, if this, if this drops to seven and five, then yeah, that I would say that is a disappointing season. And if I was going to use big uh, declarative statements to dramatize it, I would say it would be a waste of Brock Purdy's junior year.
2: I'm just, I, you know, maybe I'm a little bit, um, maybe a little a little bit hurt. Maybe I'm a lover scorned
1: from know, from I've, last I, year, buying yeah, in on Iowa State. They were,
2: they were supposed to get. Were supposed to be ten wins last year. What happened? Now all of a sudden, I'm looking up, and Matt Campbell, who continues to be, like you said, Tom or Chip, one of you guys said, like, it continues to be this apple of other AD's eyes. But here we are, and. He's gone three and nine, eight and five, eight and five, seven and six. Now eight and five in year two was like, holy cow, look what he's done at Iowa State. Eight and five in year three was like, Yeah, all right, nice consistency. Seven and six in year four is a little bit now. You get a little just droplet of did is you know, have we been overhyping Matt Campbell? I'm not saying that – that isn't a statement. I'm not saying we've been open, overhyping Matt Campbell. I'm saying that deep down into the deep chasms of my empty head, there is a little small little echo of like, hey, man, did you overhype Matt Campbell? Like, So this is – that's why this is an interesting year for me. You know, no, Not much offensive line coming back. The, y'all didn't even mention the tight ends, which might be one of the better tight end groups in the country. Uh, defensively they do have playmakers on every level so yeah there is a lot of reason to think that this team is, is going to be really good but I don't really know how to feel about this team if it goes eight and four again I guess in a way like that's not I mean look if, if Iowa State has just hit three or four years with eight wins that's still pretty darn good and so I think you still feel okay but I'm not there with maybe having a 10 win expectation maybe I'm just feeling the feeling the burn of last season.
1: So, uh, I would say, yeah, 10 and two is my best case. Eight and four would be my, like, I guess my expectations about nine and three, nine and three, 10 and two, somewhere around there. I just, I cannot definitively say out of Oklahoma and maybe an Oklahoma state slash name that team. I, I don't, I don't think that Iowa state should be losing to more than, I don't think Iowa state should lose four big 12 games. Not this um,
0: year. I mean, they could though. <laughs> you know well, what I, I mean, of course I, they could. I don't think that that's that. I I think that four losses in conference is. I you you'd hope they finish six and three, but I think five or four is very much within the realm of likely outcomes. I mean, oh yeah. I I just I'm with Barton. I'm not huge on this team because it it mostly stems just from the offensive line. It's it's not a situation where I think that having that young of a line is going to bode well for them early in the season and maybe as they get later in the year that helps. It's just it's hard for me to be super optimistic about it.
1: Well as uh, you know as I not contradict, but as I come back to our theme of you know what coaches are saying during this time and whether or not we should care or how much value we should put in it. did y'all see Matt Campbell kind of big time everybody? He said, no. "He said, uh, well, uh, I played at D three Mount Union, you know, and I coached at Mount Union, and uh, nobody came on campus till August first. You were on your own. There was no like summer workouts. There was no uh, off season conditioning or anything like that. It was, it was everybody." held to their own standard you had four weeks and that's all we needed to go and play and we were pretty good now we had a championship caliber a championship expectation at mountain union but uh but yeah i mean he he laid it out like hey as long as we're back on august 1st we should be ready to go not the comments i would expect from somebody who could have used spring practice to gel an offensive line but i still kind of appreciated the sentiment of saying like hey i mean we did this uh mountain union and won championships so why can't y'all
0: well, he's doing the coach thing where he's not allowing his team to have built-in excuses.
2: Mm. Well, but that that did kind of shake me back to reality a little bit because I had bought into a little bit of the talking points of Brian Kelly and others and Sabin or whoever saying you know we got to have that summer workout schedule so that they're not getting injured in, in preseason practice and yada, yada yada, forgetting that I played in a on a team that's. Yeah, I mean, I typically stayed over in the summer, but it was a it was like a small group. There'd be like 15 to 20 guys that stayed over the summer and worked out. The rest of the team was all smarter than us, and they were out doing like internships on Wall Street or whatever. And they'd show up in in August, and like I still there's a guy on our team named David Knox who was like this kind of stud running back physically, um, and he'd roll in for like max bench press day. And hadn't worked out all summer. They throw like three plates on there, to, and he just rep out three fifteen. And the strength coach looked and be like, you know what, like, you want to do some more weight? And he'd be like, I mean, yeah, sure. They throw like a two more plates on there. He'd do four oh five, no problem. It's just like he hadn't even he didn't even know what he was working with all summer. Like he didn't even know what he he just shows up in his boat shoes and <laughs> ready to work out. Uh, and and you know, it's like this can't happen. Like it is conceivable that the guys show up in august and just get going um because it's i think that was i think that was like a a a refreshing reminder that that this doesn't have to be some crazy six-month lead up to workouts
1: yeah in college football it is happening right now to be able to just do fall camp and go all right uh and now bringing it up with kansas three and nine last year one and eight uh in conference play You've got quarterback Carter Stanley gone, quarterback Manny Miles gone. So, no real answers uh, at the quarterback position that I know of. You do have another year of Puka Williams after back to back 1,000 yard rushing seasons. And, um, you know, this was a this was a bad defensive team last year, uh, number 100 in yards per play, defense allowed. We've got preseason expectations of being one of the worst teams in Power Five. Bill Connolly's SP plus at number 113. My. I guess that, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this and the one, dis, not discussion wrinkle, but I guess the, the interesting wrinkle, you know, what does, even with not without having spring practice, you know, what do we see from the offense with uh, offensive coordinator Brent Deerman, who we talked about on this uh, show before, you know, he was hired in January, 2019 as an offensive analyst promoted to offensive coordinator in October. Brent Dearman guided the NAIA Bethel University to a 10 and 0 record in 2018, averaging 540 yards and 55 points per game. This NAIA offensive whiz kid uh you know you're you're kind of pushing him out there you've got puka williams out there so i guess if you are a kansas football fan you're hoping that you're gonna have some uh some decent offense but you know again a kansas football fan whoever you may be i, I think the expectations are still pretty low uh as we head into 2020
0: yeah <laughs> yeah we're not there yet I mean, I this is a team for me. It's like there are so many players from last year's team, and so much production is gone. Like in, in Connolly's returning production ranks, Kansas ranks 126th overall, 115th on defense, 117th, or 115th on offense, 117th on defense. So we're gonna see a lot of new important faces in new places. We've got the new offense coming in. This is a team that I really can't Honestly, say I I have high hopes for until they show me reason to give them high hopes. So I'm just going in thinking Kansas is going to be you know the Big Twelve doormat yet again.
2: I do think, foundationally speaking, Kansas is recruiting at a pace and a talent level that there there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I think we see them com- more competitive this year consistently. I think the Deerman as the OC from day one is going to help, but I don't think this is the year. Man, they
0: remind me a little bit of like Illinois in recent years where it, it's a huge rebuild job. Les Miles has begun the process of increasing the talent floor. It's just, it's not to a level where the turnaround is going to be one season. Like Kansas had a very solid recruiting class for Kansas last year in Miles' first year. But overall, it's not like a game-changing class. It's a foundational class, which you hope to keep building on and building on until you get something going. So to think that Kansas is going to just come in 2020 and improve from 3-9 and nine overall and be competing for a bowl game, probably not realistic. You're just kind of hoping to be a little more competent and a little more competitive in conference play.
1: That's Illinois fan Tom Fernelli telling you, Kansas fan, there's light at the end of this tunnel, baby. You'll be... Beaten. uh who would be the michigan state of the big 12 tcu yeah yeah you'll be beating tcu and going to bowl games in no time just hang on tight with less miles the hat uh, gentlemen, thank you very much. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Next week, we turn our attention to the Atlantic Coast Conference. So tell a friend. You got a buddy who uh, he he or she really enjoys ACC football and you haven't told anybody about this podcast. Maybe you already have. Go and tell them to subscribe to the Cover 3 podcast because those hot ACC takes are coming. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Sir.